You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to Let's Talk Apple episode 31, the show for March 2016, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me as ever, I have a wonderful panel of Mac geeks and interesting people. So first off from the United States of America, I'm joined by Adam Christensen. Hi, Adam. Hey, how you doing? Not too bad at all. It's been a while since we've heard your dulcet tones here, so it's good to have you back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back on. It's been way too long. Well, as I said, there's always a seat at our mic, assuming we can make all the time zones line up and, you know. Right. That's oh. usually what it is, right? Yeah, because what's a convenient time for me is not such a convenient time necessarily in America. And also an even less convenient time for poor Alistair, who's joining us all the way from New Zealand. Hi, Alistair. Hello, Bart. Yes, uh, as we uh, were discussing before the show recorded, uh, you're usually recording on my weekday morning, so I'm on my commute while you're talking. <laughs> yeah, so this this is my Sunday evening just before I run out of weekend, but for you, it's already into the work week. So th- thank you for, for joining us in the morning. I'm so not a morning person, so thank you. And then someone who should have less time zone problems is uh, Nick Riley is back with us again from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. Yes, um, I'm here eventually. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Game of Thrones is enthralling. I I can understand how you might get sucked in. (laughs) Anyway, we have ourselves a big month of Apple news to talk about. So before we dig into the main stories, just a few little... Illegal stories to pop into, and uh, yeah, the the whole FBI thing, that's that's in main stories, even though it's technically a legal story, so we'll come to that in a moment. So, there a case happened in Germany, which might have made more headlines if FBI stuff hadn't been going on, but Apple, there was a patent case against Apple in a German court over video technologies, which belonged to a Swiss company, and Apple lost that case, which means that they, I guess, they have the choice to appeal, to remove a whole bunch of features from iPhones and Macs and iOS, or to pay this uh, Swiss company a license, assuming the Swiss company is prepared to negotiate with Apple. So, do, Yeah, do we know what the license is? I don't think we do. Um, so I guess now I think Apple legal are going to have to decide which of those three strategies to do. But this this is... Typically... Pro- oh, go on. I was just going to say, typically they, in, when they lose a case, they'll usually try to fight it. Mm. And, le- and unless it's something morally they feel is they're just really in the right... I think they usually end up just paying a licensing, you know, negotiating a license fee and making yeah. it go away. They can't afford it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I th- but they usually try that first case because, hey, if they win, guess what? They don't have to pay the licensing fee. But Yeah. And also, know, I guess that's it. they have an incentive not to be too much of a pushover because then everyone with a, a half right. plausible patent claim will just appear out of right. nowhere. Not in fairness yep. to that stop people appearing out of nowhere. You know, yeah, but it is just interesting to me. They very, they very rarely, if they lose that this first case, very rarely will you see them sort of appeal it. It's usually they go back with the company and sit down and go, okay, you know, how much do you want? What can we, what can we negotiate? I think it's just much simpler for them. But I think you're right. I think, I think the main reason they fight each case at least once is to make sure that you know people aren't just bringing claims seeking, seeking quick money. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of those patent cases, patent cases that is probably never going to end ever is Apple's case that started back in 2001 against <laughs> Samsung. 
that has now made its way up to the Supreme Court of the United States of America, who have agreed to hear Samsung's appeal. So I guess, well, I guess the good news is once this is over, that unless the Supreme Court take it back yeah. to a lower court, then we can wait more. But I think we've got to be getting close to the end, right? Uh, just I would imagine they're so, using yeah. 2001, you mean 2011. Copying the iPhone in 2001, I don't think is defendable. Oh, sorry, I don't think is, I don't think Apple could defend that. <laughs> did I say 2001? You did. did. I did. Okay, no, it's not that bad. It's only 2011. Only 2011. Only five years. It's only a five-year court case. And there, it's about phones from what? 2008, 2009. It's about very yeah, old phones, anyway. And also, yeah, then, I can't even remember. Yeah. Well, there was also a second sort of part of this case, which is that Samsung had managed to get a damages retrial, uh, which was scheduled for March 28th, but that has all been put on hold until the Supreme Court rule, because if the Supreme Court rule that the patents, the design patents are not acceptable, then the damages becomes rather a moot point, really, doesn't it? So I presume that's why that case is on hold until the Supreme Court rule. Okay, so... The big main story, Apple versus the FBI. So I have lots of stuff in the show notes to give you the chronology of what happened. I'm going to just quickly summarize the facts and then we can have a chat about it. So when last we left our heroes, uh, we were all, it was all still he said, she said. And I think there was a court case coming up in the future, but it was still very much in the future. Um, so the first story after our last recording is that the FBI basically got nasty. Um, and they, it's sort of like the, the old cop show, because well, you can use the hard way or the easy way. And they started to say, well, if you don't want to write the software for us, tell you what, give us your private key and all of your source code, and we'll do it ourselves, which is a spectacularly nasty threat. Um, also, we had just heard last time that a similar case in New York had gone Apple's way. And I think we all expected that would be appealed. And that was indeed appealed. Um some more big names came on Apple's side since last we spoke. Uh, former CIA Director James Woolsey, uh, Richard Clark, the former National Coordinator for Security, Infrastructure Protection and Counterterrorism, or just the Counterterrorism Czar, as he was more commonly known. Uh, Harvard Law Professor Susan Crawford made a clear case laying out the legal arguments in Apple's favour, and they were very much not in the FBI's favour. Uh, and then, in a surprise move, Apple... Oh, sorry, the FBI changed the type of hearing. They, well, we'd like an evidentiary hearing. And everyone was kind of saying, hmm, that sounds like they don't think they have a good legal case if they want an evidentiary hearing. Uh, and then they really, one, really one changed quick point on that. Yeah. Yeah, one quick point on that so people understand the difference. Uh, they were going to have this hearing, and it was, it was, I guess, investigative. I forget what the other kind was. But by changing to an evidentiary what it gave the FBI the ability to do was basically cross-examine. So the original trial, there was supposed to be no cross-examination of experts. So Apple would have their experts, the FBI would have their experts, and then the judge would sort of figure things out. Um, right. So that was kind of, that push was like them kind of showing, hey, we want to be able to, you know, grill Apple's Apple's witnesses. And that's where what sort of led to that idea that maybe their case wasn't all that strong. Okay. Um... There was also an interesting point in one of the one of the rulings. So the, the the rhetoric out of the FBI had always been that Apple was flouting the court order by not immediately de- decrypting the iPhone, and the judge in the case basically said uh, that's not how the law works. I make an order. Apple right. doesn't have a right to appeal. Apple took the right to appeal. Apple have done absolutely nothing wrong here. This is not flouting anything. 
And I, I, on the whole, the FBI have not done anything to show themselves in praise in this whole affair. They have not acted in good faith, in my humble opinion. Anyway, uh, then, at the very last minute, uh, literally at the last minute, actually, because the Apple keynote we're going to talk about in a bit happened on the Monday... And then while the keynote was going on on the Monday morning, Tim Cook was still telling us all about how the Apple were going to vigorously defend this stuff in court. And then between that Monday morning keynote and March 22nd, when the actual court case was supposed to be, all of a sudden the FBI asked the court to suspend the hearing. Hold the case. Give us two weeks because we think we might have found a way in after all. Uh, not very long after to that. Ten hours. Yeah, eight Sorry? to ten hours before the trial. It was about eight to ten hours before they were supposed to have the, the trial or something like that. It was, you know, less than 24 hours, basically. Yeah, so literally they came skidding into the courtroom and, stop! <laughs> <laughs> um, unsurprised, well, I guess as we probably expected from that, you know, last-minute postponement, the FBI then let, let it be known that they succeeded in breaking into the phone. Um, they haven't told us how they broke it into the phone. Uh, they once they succeeded in breaking into the phone, they ended the case. They basically said to the judge, "Yeah, whatever, you can let that order go. We don't want that order anymore." Um, I think the, the legal term is vacate. I think. Um, yeah, vacate the order. So, yeah, so the order got to go on a holiday. Um, well, that's vacation. <laughs> uh, so we don't know how they got in, but the entire internet—well, not just the entire internet—the entire news media seems convinced that it was an Israeli company called Celebrite who got in through some sort of zero-day exploit we know nothing about. Uh, Apple released a statement basically saying this court case had never been taken in the first place. Uh, they also then requested a delay in that New York case that we mentioned earlier, arguing that if they can use this newfangled method to get into the San Bernardino iPhone, why can't they use this newfangled method to get into the New York iPhone? What do you need us for? You've just gotten into an iPhone. Uh, and the EFF were very quick to point out that while this one particular battle may be over, the war is far from over, and there is a lot, a long way still to go in this whole thing. Uh, the ACLU jumped in then, um, sorry, the DOJ next jumped in and basically said, yeah, so we plan on keeping on using the courts to compel tech companies to do what we want. Uh, and then the ACLU released an interactive map showing the 63 times the All Writs Act has been used against Apple and Google. Uh, the FBI then also said that they're going to use their newfangled technique in a homicide case in Arkansas. And there is reporting from Vice that, say, that, that implies that there is a case going on in a secret court in Boston that revolves around the All Writs Act and forcing decryption. So maybe the next battle is already underway and we simply don't know about it. And there is also a father of a 13-year-old Italian kid who tragically passed away who is basically saying that Apple should put a backdoor in their encryption so he can get the photos off his son's phone, which is heartbreaking, um, but not a very good argument for removing security from everyone on the planet. Uh, well, yeah, that, that case I have, I take issues with, and it's not because I'm not compassionate to, you know, the father's situation. Yeah. But... When I read the details about that case, um, the son was diagnosed with, I think, some form of cancer about two years ago. And the family knew. So, one, at that point, you would think you would plan for this type of scenario and say, hey, right. you know, why don't you why don't you give me your passcode in case something does happen? You know, we're going to remain positive. I get that idea, you know, stay positive and make sure that think that, oh, well, he's going to come out of this. But just in case... You would think you'd plan that. And plus, this was a 13-year-old kid. I don't know about other parents out there, but in my house, 
just for safety and security and yeah. for a bunch of other reasons, my kids aren't allowed to have passcodes on their devices that I don't know. They have passcodes on their devices, yeah. but I have to be able to get into their phones. They're, they're young kids. You know, this is, is very this kid's young, a minor. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I'm all for, I don't go in there. I don't open their phones, but if I ever needed to for some reason, yeah. then I have the ability to. And it's just surprising me to me that, you know, they didn't. And I think I think he wasn't living with his dad full time. So that may be, you know, part of it. But again, at the same time, it's just sort of like, you know, there were a lot of scenarios here. So I don't think this ball falls back in Apple's court. Really. No, no, it's it's very it's very sad and it, it pulls in the heartstrings. But it's a terrible argument for removing security from everyone on the planet terrible and i think it's a less it should be a lesson to other people out there too you know if, if you do if you are in this kind of situation um especially in a family and we've talked about this on some other podcasts because we've had this scenario happen to friends and family where someone passes and someone can't get at data um you know make a system it, yeah. you know with your loved ones and your family members so that you can get into their devices because it's really not the responsible of the company i don't care if it's samsung or apple or google or whoever um these are living in a digital age. These are things that we need to think about. You know, do you have access to their Flickr account? Do you have access to places where they might have backup data and important documents stored? You know, make sure that you you plan for that. And don't plan for it when someone is diagnosed with a terminal illness. Plan for it while everything right. is hunky-dory, A-OK, fine. And then when it ceases to be so, which can happen quite suddenly, then at least you have what you need. Um, yep. If you... Well, a few months ago now, um, close to Christmas, um, my grandfather passed away. But one of the arrangements we had is that I had his one password password in my one password. Yeah, yeah. And while we it, we still had one or two things that would have been a little bit easier if we if, if he'd stored a few more things in one password than he did. On the whole, it was it worked out quite well. It was basically to open the vault and get out a whole bunch of stuff and. He, he he died suddenly. Um, we 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 didn't have really notice. So if we hadn't planned ahead, and the only reason actually we planned ahead was because of what happened with our fellow podcaster Tim Report, and I think that opened a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. I know yourself. You've talked about it on your show. Alison's talked about it on her shows. I think we did a Mac roundtable about it. But yeah, the yeah. time to prepare is when everything is a okay. Uh, make some plans. You know, as uncomfortable as it can kind of be sometimes, but. It's it's important. Yeah, um, and there is no, there is nothing at the but there there is nothing at the moment is there, that that um, there are very few services offering some kind of digital legacy um, protection or do you know what I mean? I, I think yeah. I, I have heard of one or two. Well, it, um, it's starting to become a thing, though, isn't stuff. it? Well, Facebook have a thing where you, you can nominate people to take over your account when you to become yep. executors of your account instead of your estate. And oh, you have this thing, you have subscription services now like 1Password for Families, which, would, which is, shares passwords between family members in a controlled way. Yes. So there, there are, it's becoming a thing that the digital world is slowly catching up to, but it, it, we're not there yet, though. You're right. We're definitely not there yet. Yep. Yeah, I think the the password manager approach is the the simplest that anybody can do, because yeah. you know what you had with your grandfather was you know just you had his password and and in fact he should have had yours. Yes. And you don't actually have to share or even have access for most of the time, but when you do need access, 
Yeah. Well, I didn't have his vault. I only had his password. So yeah. when he passed, I, it was left to me to responsibly decommission his computer to make sure that, you know, his hard drive was securely wiped and so forth. And as part of that process, one part was to take the one password vault and put it onto my computer. But until that happened, I had a password to something I knew I could get to if I needed to, but not something I had all the time. And again, it would be vice versa. And it, it's, again, my my one password is in my better half's one password vault and vice versa. Because if anything happens to either of us, we need to be able to get into each other's one passwords. Very sensible. Very sensible. Mm-hmm. Not very cheerful, mm-hmm. but very sensible. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I kind of took us away from the, the Apple FBI story. Well, before Maybe we go back to the back. root of it, I do actually just want to flag um, a few other stories that I think are, they're not directly related, but they are related, related all the same. So we also found out this month that uh, it's now an official policy that information the NSA has collected, which was all collected in the name of fighting terrorism, is now just going to be openly shared among US law enforcement. And we all knew this was happening, and we all knew this Mm -hmm. was going to happen, but now we know that it really definitely is happening, which is just sort of proves the point that this stuff creeps. There is no such thing as we're only going to do it to fight terrorism. It will never, ever, ever, ever be that way. Unlike iPhones to fight terrorism. No, you won't. Already we're talking about drugs cases. So it's just Yet more underlining on the point that this stuff creeps this whole argument. Oh, it's just for one thing. No, it isn't. Uh, apparently, Apple designed their own servers to make sure that there's no snooping devices embedded on them. And I guess if you work at the scale Apple work, you can afford to do such things, even if you don't sell them to people. Is that something that they did or is it something that they are starting to do? Uh, let me just check the tense of the report. See, this is, of course... Because... Well, because what's Apple's been using for a lot of their cloud storage, because it, it came out, what, last week or a couple of weeks ago, that they were moving from um, Amazon to Microsoft. So they were going to go temporarily to Azure servers. They've been using S3 and, and Amazon. Um, and so they didn't really have control of those. those. And I think they had this theory that um, in some cases, NSA or other government agencies had a pro- have a program. It's actually a known program right. where they would intercept servers on the way to data centers and then basically install uh, monitoring yeah. systems or devices on those servers without the knowledge of the of the people receiving them, and then put those in place. And th- this so is something Apple, that we know from Snowden, isn't it? That we know it's happening. Yeah. And we also yeah. know that it happens in the other direction where the Chinese government have been caught putting stuff – or, sorry, people in China have been caught putting stuff onto networking equipment coming out of companies like Huawei and so forth. So this is – Yeah. Thing. Yeah, so the so tense – So Apple is concerned about it, yeah. Yeah, so the tense of the article is Apple has begun designing. So I guess that means that those servers don't exist yet, but they are being created. And they want to build. They want. They ultimately want to bring all iCloud stuff in house. And I think a lot of that is a reaction to some of the privacy and security things that have been happening, and then Apple is aware of happening. Um, they want to take more control of all that stuff rather than have it in third parties like Amazon and and Google and Microsoft, which they have been using to date. Which is incredibly uh, surprising to me to to think that a lot of iTunes and the data that's in Ooh. iTunes is actually run through Amazon and knowing Amazon and Apple's relationship yeah. you know, outside of that sort of 
<laughs> I'm sure Amazon's happy to take Apple's money, you know, yeah, which is what it comes I'm down sure. to at the end of the day. <laughs> but, the relationship but the same... here, take my cash. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they do but have their the same... own data centers too, right? I mean, the stuff in North Carolina and whatnot, that's not, that's not Amazon. I'm trying, to figure out what they're using. I'm trying to figure out what they're using those for, though, you know, because after the story broke, it was sort of like, oh, wait a minute. Why? What's going on in Maiden, North Carolina, and in, in Oregon, and and well, now you know soon to be Nevada, and but there's no reason to assume that the, the same workloads. I mean, these are all massively distributed systems. So just because you're using, right. I mean, you could be half of iTunes. You know, some of the iTunes cloud could be on, on Azure, some could be on Amazon, some could be on Google servers, and some I think could it be is. on their own. Like, I mean, it really can't be that spread out because they're just VMs. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, and I, I think it actually. I think it actually is. But yeah, ultimately, Apple is looking. It sounds like now to bring everything in house. So we're going to see them building a lot more data centers. We already heard of a lot more data centers in China and Europe, uh, Ireland. Well, Ireland, yeah. Uh, well, no, I think that's still awaiting planning permission because some local people thought that it might be terrible to have some business in the area. <laughs> Honestly, they're, they're cranks, like complete kooks. But yeah, Nimbyism. Oh, absolutely. Right. And it's not, but it's not even their backyard. It's an empty bug. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's, yeah, it's just nothing there. <laughs> anyway, 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 anyway. Uh, yeah, so what else did I have on that list? Uh, an interesting datum. Reddit. Reddit's warrant canary went poof. So they are obviously not at liberty to tell us why it went poof. So read into it what you will, but it would appear that some sort of secret FISA court order was handed to them, and they are now no longer able to say that the one wasn't handed to them. I assume people that listen to this podcast know what that is, because I didn't know what that was until recently. Okay, well, it's, it's worth explaining. Um, so a warrant canary is called after the actual canary in the coal mine, which, which is not just a saying. It was an actual thing. Um, there used to right. be gases in coal mines which would kill you. Uh, but they would kill a canary quicker than they would kill a human. So you carried a canary with you into the coal mine, and if the canary died, you ran away. Uh, so right. it was literally the canary in the coal mine. And if the if a FISA court orders you to do something, that comes with a gag order. So you cannot say, we received FISA court orders. But you if you haven't received one, then you're not gagged. So you can say, we have not received. And then if the we have not received goes away then you have to assume that something has happened. So if the canary dies, then there's gas. If the warrant canary goes away, then assuming there was some kind of warrant. But of course, the canary could have had a heart attack or the warrant canary could have gone away for some other reason. So they can't tell us. So we don't know, but it is nonetheless a data point. So this is something that's typically posted on a company's website where they'll have, as of this date, we've received no court orders, right? There's Mm. like a statement. Well, it's, it's an annual right. report they, uh, in this case. From, so Reddit do a report oh. every year. So last year's report had it, and this year's report doesn't. Oh, some um, like VPN sites and things like that will uh, have a daily uh, oh, wow. update. Okay, so they'll so. have a page, and and every day they up every day they don't receive a warrant. They update the date on huh. that page. So then what you can do is you can go to uh, that page each day and check it, and you know if the date hasn't been updated. Oh, something they may have they may have received an order. They might be they might be under investigation or doing something, huh. which I think is brilliant. I mean, it's a brilliant way to handle it, because like you said, you can you can say you haven't yes. received the gag order, but you can't say anything if you have. So they're never saying anything. They have you just look at that date and you go, OK, it was updated this morning. We're good. Or wait, it wasn't updated this morning or it hasn't been updated in a week. Yeah. Something's going on. 
Now, uh, so, I was, so I was a bit like, sorry, is that a little bit like, is that a little bit like, um, so they not haven't, as it were? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, it feels no, almost like a double haven't. negative. It's like, we have, in other words, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have, they're posting a date to say we haven't received a gag order. You know, we're not under a gag order basically right now. And if they don't update it, that means they haven't been able to update it. And one of the main reasons they wouldn't have been able to update it would be that they have received a gag, you know, an order and it's under a gag order. So I, I was chatting about this at home with the better half. And apparently there are countries where there are laws against warrant canaries. So apparently in Australia, it's illegal to have a statement to say that you are not under a gag order. Mm. Oh, dear. So yes, we are getting a little bit like extreme here. So you're not allowed to say that you're not being gagged. Well, then I am being gagged, clearly. You've just told me I can't say that I'm not. So then I am. Ah! Could you go, could you go for a triple negative? <laughs> yes, All very indeed. And then the, the, the last story that is, I think, tangentially related. Obviously, this whole case was triggered by terrorism. Uh, so the New York Times are reporting that the Paris attackers did not rely on encryption to evade detection. They relied on a much more basic technique. They just had burner phones. They just bought contractless phones, used them very briefly, and then replaced them with other contractless phones that they used very briefly. They were religious about it, if you'll excuse the pun. And mm-hmm. no amount of taking away all of our security can prevent this kind of thing. If you've ever watched Breaking Bad, you know what that's all about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's there's the facts, and I've sort of given I've given probably a little more commentary than I had meant to as I went through the facts. So <laughs> I was going to keep it all neutral and then have my commentary, but I couldn't resist. So any, hard. anyone have any 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 anyone want to jump in with their thoughts on this? I've been monopolizing the mic a little bit too much. Just one thing: is there anything any of us can say that the entire tech industry hasn't already said? <laughs> that would be a no. <laughs> I eat boogers? I don't know. <laughs> oh, you mean relevant, <laughs> relevant thing. Um, well, yes. Uh, yeah. Probably not, yeah. I guess. I, well, no, you you can. Well, no, you, you can give your... There is value in saying that, you know, I agree with the ACLU stance on this. And I disagree with the FBI stance on this because, you know, there is value yeah, in would, your voice. Personally, I'm, I, I'm not qualified to, you know, pick apart anybody's arguments, but the overwhelming weight of opinion is that the FBI are were really trying it on and Apple are standing up for everyone's rights so I support Apple yeah there there I mean there's a lot of people who feel um you know that Apple was sort of flying in the face of this court order but I I'm with you Bart I mean it was their right to do so and I think a lot of people lost that um but I think it's also easy to take one side of the argument and then, you know, forget about, again, there there were people and families behind this. The FBI does have a duty. Whether or not they were doing it in this case or not is, is highly debatable. But um, the assumption is, is that they have a duty to follow up every lead that they possibly can follow, right? And if we want to take them at their word and believe that they really thought up until the last minute that only Apple could help them do this, then the actions that they were taking were actions that they probably should have been taking um, in okay, receiving the court order. Okay, but they are supposed order. to be bound by the law. They're not, they're not given 
superpowers like the, the okay no but they weren't they weren't again they weren't breaking any laws either right they well, went yeah, to a yeah, court okay. they asked for an order they got the order that they wanted they presented it to apple apple said um no we don't think this order is valid we're going to appeal it and then the whole the whole thing started the one yeah, thing yeah. i think the fbi could have done better is they could have asked for a gag order on on the whole thing originally they didn't have to go public with it so Immediately by going public with it and because of all of the things that we've already talked about, it immediately started to raise a lot of suspicions among everybody as to what is your agenda. Is your agenda really you're trying to follow all leads in this case or are you trying to set precedent and uh, even probably at a bigger level um, raise you know, public uh, support for yourselves and, and try and bring this issue up as a bigger thing? And then I think what happened was they 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 thought the latter they thought okay we're going to go public with this everybody's going to be on our side because of well terrorism and then when it all went south they sort of really had to backpedal very quickly um so it backfired on them but again if if you were going to take them at face value i mean some of the things that they were doing were the things that they should have been doing it's just questionable now because of how the whole thing played out and had they kept it quiet the whole time i think they would have had a lot more people on their side well, let's. I, I, I'll play devil's advocate against that. Um, okay. So, the, a lot of their court filings were disingenuous at best. They played fast and loose with the facts. Sure. But that's not part of their remit. Like that, that's not their duty to do that. And they were using, uh, they were abusing a law, which really, according to law- lawyers and scholars of these things, they were stretching it to the point of big brotherism of government overreach, rather than to the point of doing their duty. So I would, you're, I would argue that they're the, failing to meet their oath of office. You're talking about the application with the all writs. Yeah, I am. The, the interpretation. Yeah, and just so people are clear, I was playing devil's advocate there. I'm totally on Apple's side <laughs> and on the side of privacy on this thing. Uh, maybe that wasn't clear. But, I, you know, I was saying there there was there's been overreaction, I think, on both sides, I, I, you know, to which degree on which side I think um, the FBI was much more, you know, in in the wrong. But not everything that they did was out of out of line. I don't think that's all I'm saying is like it's easy. It's easy to get polarized really far on one side or the other and not to be able to st- sort of step back from the whole thing and understand, you know, there is a there there is a lot of people a lot of people and this is not again not myself but i can understand the people who want some sort of balance they they wish and they hope that there would be some way that only the good guys could get in they right? want a unicorn they're very yeah. keen on their unicorn and president obama is a firm unicornist all of the <laughs> candidates i have heard speak on the matter for becoming obama's replacement are unicornists Hillary Clinton oh, yeah. is a committed unicornist. Um, Bernie Sanders is a committed unicornist. Not quite sure what Donald Trump is. Um, uh, well, There's that, an interesting yeah. parallel to draw there because I think the FBI were behaving more like politicians than law enforcement in the way that they exactly. conducted this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the problem. And and that's why I think ultimately the public didn't end up on their side. Right? It, was, it was transparent. Like they were hoping. Yeah. That it was just so blatant. Like, there was just so blatant. Like, oh, we're going to... We're going to play on people's emotions. Oh, you're playing on our emotions. Well, actually, we really don't like that. Yeah. Um, something else, actually, that I have on the show notes. Bloomberg did an interesting report on the backstory to this. Because, Adam, you mentioned there that this could have stayed private. Well, actually, a lot of this stuff had been going in private since iOS 8. There has actually been yeah. private back channel going on. 
And the Obama administration is not united on this at all, which is why when you describe the FBI as playing politics, it's absolutely true because they're fighting with the rest of the administration as much as they are with Apple. So it's interesting reporting from Bloomberg actually interviewing various people who were over the past few years involved in this while it was still all secret and back end. And so you do indeed have to ask, why do they choose to go public now? And I think the answer is terrorism. I think they thought that would be their ace card. There And there is a conversation that needs to happen related to this um, that we can talk about that isn't being talked about a whole bunch, but a little bit, which is the the actual backdoor or exploit or whatever was used by the FBI. You know, what is going to happen with that? Is Apple going to be able to ultimately figure out what that is? I mean, I think it's going to have to come out because if any of the cases go to trial um, that use evidence found via whatever method, um, the defense has the right to ask because they have to be able to validate the method used. They can yeah. request and ask for that method. And if they do, you know, ultimately those court records, unless the government can fight hard to keep them totally sealed, I would imagine under freedom of information or just public record that you would be able to get at the trial documents, you know, after after the trial completed. So it seems to me like it would come out. What's interesting, too, is is that... Um, I think the FBI said it wasn't Celebrite. All the media is saying it is Celebrite. Um, they're saying they did not use the NAND mirroring technique, that it was some sort of other technique. But I'm not sure who to believe because a, a lot of evidence is pointing to Celebrite. I think I read one article that um, the FBI has had contracts with Celebrite uh, to the tune of um, – couple tens of thousands of dollars a year but suddenly right before this iphone unlocked they did a contract with celebrate for about 231 million dollars right. <laughs> so it's like you know like 10 20 times the amount that they had been paying in contracts to them suddenly all at once and it's sort of like hmm that's kind of interesting <laughs> why, who, uh, why is their contract going up so much yeah so. who uh, who was uh, celebrate well, they're so I've an, not heard of them they're an Israeli security-ish company, whatever, ah, you, well, whatever you're called, professional and hackers. And their yeah. parent company, I think, is a company called Sun Technologies out of Japan, right? Ah. Yeah, whose stock has shot to the roof, so good, good for them. So are they similar <laughs> to the company, was it in Italy, that got hacked recently and client yeah. no. Well, yeah, they're the same industry, right? I mean, it's not the same company, but they do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, there are there are security contractors to a lot of governments for doing this kind of kind of work. It's my understanding. Yeah, so they're a similar outfit to the crowd that were hacked, the hacking team, as they're the hacking team, yeah. named. I think it's quite oh. interesting considering how um, acrimonious this has been mm. that that um, the FBI haven't come out and said. Uh, we've managed to get into the phone, and it's a good job we did, hint, hint. Um, well, almost everyone was sure that there's nothing on the phone, <laughs> including yes. the yeah. FBI. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I think their I, silence is probably actually said, said, actually, there wasn't anything much on the phone. <laughs> probably. Well, yeah, they're never going to say it. You're never, they're never going to say it. Um, I don't think they're going to say it. Them exactly not saying what? it, I think. Yeah. 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 Them not saying anything about it i think does sort of <laughs> point to that there was nothing on the ultimately on the phone because had there been a bunch of stuff on there 
they would have, you know, started filing for, you know, warrants to seek out other suspects. Yeah, they would have like leaked. That. They would have leaked it. I don't yeah, know. they just they would have gone to yeah. the Washington Post or one of the, one of those big Washington papers. They would have leaked it. There's no way sure. that they wouldn't have. Call me cynical. Yeah. But so with, that just goes back to the political nature. But getting getting back to the actual hack itself. The other thing I've heard from a lot of people and they're concerned about is, oh, if there is some sort of zero day, is my data, is my phone, is my privacy vulnerable? And I kind of think, I mean, I still kind of suspect that they may have used the man, the, the NAND mirroring technique and just don't want to say. Well, you know? the, the other thing is, right, so the, the other way to get what they want would be, so why could they not do government OS on their own. Well, the reason they couldn't do government OS on their own is because of the code signing. So it's some sort of zero day that gets around the code signing. Well, then they're free to write any software they want, which means they're free to do whatever they wanted Apple to do. Right. Well, so, so a zero so sorry, day is as plausible as NAND mirroring. Right. Okay, so a zero day that allows them to write government OS, which gets to my, my bigger point for those people who are concerned about their privacy and security on their iPhones, remember that the original thing that the FBI was trying to do was basically crack the passcode. And if you have anything other than a four-digit, you know, a simple four-digit or a simple six-digit passcode, if you're using an alphanumeric passcode of a suitable length, even if they're able to write government OS or do the technique that they wanted to do, which would enable them to basically brute force hack the phone, um, it's going to take way too long for for your device to get hacked. So I'm assuming that even ultimately, whatever this technique was, it was related to what they originally wanted to do. Now, I don't know for with 100% certainty, but my guess is that's what happened, is they still had to crack the phone against the passcode, and I think they were able to do it because my assumption is there was probably just a four-digit passcode on this device. So if you're worried about it, you know, consider not using four-digit passcode on your phone and using something more complex. Yeah, with Touch ID, oh. that's easier because you won't have to enter yeah. it every single time. My theory is that somebody finally noticed that post-it note in the photograph of his desk. It had one, two, three, four <laughs> written <laughs> in marker. Yeah, it's not yeah. the world's least plausible argument, although wasn't it, uh, oh, what's his face, McAfee, who, jo- who, who, sa- who suggested they try social engineering on a dead guy, which I thought was very clever. <laughs> but Ma- McAfee I also is think special. It's, I also think it's quite ironic that... Um, um, so say I'm 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 the person who that the uh, FBI wants to know about, and I'm banging my fist on the table saying, "No, no, no! You're not going to have my data. I've got it all protected. I'm just going to type into this Google document all about it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to move us on because we have another giganto story that needs talking about. So as we mentioned, oh, you know the the. San Bernardino case took a big turn within hours of the Apple keynote, so there was an Apple keynote, clearly. Um, April the 22nd or 21st? 21st. April 21st, Apple had a an event, a media event. I guess it's not a keynote if there's no Actually, March. with it. What did I say? I said April, didn't I? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I meant March. Yes, in the future. We are reporting to you from the future. Uh, so this was a media event rather than a keynote because there was no conference, no nothing else like that. It was in Apple's uh, current campus. And it was the Loop Me In event or something to that effect, they called it. So yep. let's, I guess we'll just go through what they talked about. And then we might we might cover loop, if you'll excuse the point, a loop back at the end to give it an overall opinion of, of the shoe. Uh, but I think what they said is probably more important than... You know, 
our opinions of how they said it. So they started off by telling us, well, actually, well, at least Jackson, who is a former head of the EPA, I believe, and who's now Apple's yes. head honcho on social and environment. So she started, she gave a presentation on Apple's move towards renewables. And in many countries in the world, Apple is now 100% renewable, by which it means that the amount of energy they use, they are buying that much renewable energy. So the actual electrons may have come from somewhere else, but they're, they're all perfectly offset, etc. Um, and the only point I really wanted to make on that is it's very easy to do that when you don't manufacture anything. Well, not very easy. But it's much easier to do that when you don't manufacture anything because by outsourcing to Foxconn, all of that stuff goes off Apple's plate. Right. Interesting. Still, though, being at 93% overall, that's not bad going. And that does include their data centers, and data centers are absolute power hogs. So I, I guess kudos, but it may not be quite what you all think. Their, yeah, it's their offices, their data centers, their retail stores. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's significant. It's not, it's not nothing, but your your point is valid. Yeah. I mean, anybody who wants to look at Foxconn can probably show how environmentally uh, bad they are. Yeah. Probably pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think any company that's making an effort to be greener, not, not uh, because yeah. they think it's important, not because they're being told they've got to, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree um, with that. They, all, they are also fighting and working hard under um, to, under the with the sourcing of materials that go into the making of the phones. Yeah. Um, actually, they've still got a long ways to go, but they're fighting that battle as well. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll co- yeah, story number four is their supplier responsibility report, which also came out in March. So oh, okay, cool. We'll Sorry. circle back around to that. Because Getting that ahead was of myself. One of the things they did definitely focus on in that report was where the minerals come from, which yeah. is an important mm-hmm. part of our iPhones and our Macs, etc. Uh, they also showed off a robot called Liam. Uh, which does the opposite of what most robots do. It doesn't build iPhones. It disassembles them for recycling in, was it 11 seconds per iPhone or something insanely yes. ridiculous like that? Yep. So, okay. You know, if we're going to have unuser serviceable devices, then actually what becomes important from an environmental point of view is recyclability. So if you can't reuse, then recycle. Well, and reusability, I think, is part of part of Liam's agenda as well, which I find interesting because you would imagine like things like screws and pentalobe screws and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. They can pull those out, just simply reuse them, put them back into manufacturing. Actually, that's a fair point. And stuff like cases may well go into refurbs. Yep. Depend. You know, obviously, they'd have to be inspected to make sure that the reason the phone was being scrapped wasn't because it had been run over by a bus. But you know, yeah. So, but a lot of yeah, a lot of component parts I would imagine are going to go right back into manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think the next thing was also, I guess, from the social responsibility point of view, was CareKit, which is a an open source, which is important, framework for making health apps where it's not about... So HealthKit is about tracking your health data, and ResearchKit is about you taking part in medical research, and then CareKit is about you and your doctor having a conver- working together on your health, I think is how you separate those three very interrelated kits. And so CareKit yep. is new. Yeah. It's, it, CareKit's more about ongoing care after, or, you know, apps that are working with you while you're having care and after you've had care to sort of monitor your recovery and your progress and, and things like that. So not of a research study it's going directly back to your doctors or even your family if you choose to share it so you get to share either with your family or your doctors and you get to pick who you who you want and what you want to share with them 
So again, this is a framework. So what will make it win or lose is the apps that are built and the support of those apps by the medical profession. So the fact that it's open source, I think, is important because it means that hospitals will find it easier to get on board. And in theory, it means that Android phones could take part as well. Yeah, Research Kit is also um, open source, mm-hmm. from what I remember. Is yes, it, it is. actually open source now? No, no, it is, will yeah. It, will it be? Oh, uh, let me check Apple's open source page. Because I remember a certain uh, service called, was it FaceTime that they said they were going to open source? And <laughs> I don't think they have. Yes. Um, Swift Apple open obviously. source WebKit porting f- uh, tools and technologies? Is that where you'd put it if you were Apple? Probably. There's never been a better time. No, no, that's not where I'd put it if I was Apple. Yeah, okay, so the Apple open source page is low on usefulness. Uh, related sites, open source development. We'll try that. Apple open source, Swift, WebKit, ResearchKit. Okay, well, ResearchKit, Bonjour... Okay, so it's not listed next to Research Kit yet, so it's not there right now today. But yeah, yeah Research Kit is there, and that's not that old, so yes, we have every reason to believe that Care Kit. But oddly, short. FaceTime is not. <laughs> yeah, so strange that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's Swift, LVM, and a whole bunch of really low-level stuff. Web Kit, Research Kit, I'm Bonjour, and uh, you know Darwin. Yeah, Darwin. Unix. The underlying. Like, I mean, they call it. Un- yeah, that, that's Still, calling right? it Unix is a bit. That's a bit pretentious. It's not. <laughs> it's a Unix, I guess, but that's still a bit pretentious. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. The only, sorry. No, go on, Nick. The, the only problem that I see with these things is um, I can't see our health service ever being organized enough to use them. That's where the open source might just get it in there. If it's if it's a case, because I, I think it's very 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 hard to get a large, you know, to get a national health service to use something that belongs to a corporation. Yeah, but if it's if it's app agnostic, you know, if it's vendor agnostic, at least it has a chance. I'm not saying it's going to happen quickly, but it has a chance. Maybe in time. Yeah, I hope so. I really, really hope so. We we need this kind of stuff Uh, because the point they made on stage was that you you're in for surgery, like you know, better half went through surgeries last year. While you're in there, you're on amazing care. And you have all of these machines hooked up to you, monitoring everything that's going on. You have the world's experts all around you helping you go. And then you get let out and they give you a piece of paper, an A4 sheet of paper, which doesn't seem like a very good right. replacement for all that care. Well, and a sheet of paper often doesn't agree with what you were just told. Yeah. Or you're on so many painkillers, they might have told yeah. you to eat pink elephants. The last time yeah. I, the last time I had to be... Uh, in hospital, actually, it was actually fairly good. The time before which was a good number of years ago, uh, and and they just seemed to take down the same information on pieces of paper several times, yeah. uh, which was pretty bad, <laughs> I thought, yeah. technologically. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose there's there's a, I can see how this could be very useful, but whether whether the NHS will get their heads around it and do anything about it, I don't know. We'll see. Well, I think I think the important thing, too, is, I mean, the idea here is you would have an app. So if you're given that sheet of paper or if the thing is the app itself, you get simple little check boxes. So if you're supposed to take a pill at a certain time every day, you would, you know, go in and you would check the box and say, yes, I took the pill. And 
that data would be shared with your doctor. So if you forgot to do that, hey, could maybe send you an email and say, hey, did you did you take that pill? You know, so they can monitor sort of what's going on in a little more real time. And you actually do have someone, even though you're not in the hospital, you know, sort of checking on that. And, you know, it's probably going to be an assistant or, you know, an RN or something like that. But at the same time, at least they're able to to check up on you. Or if you're supposed to, you know, take your heart rate at a certain time every day to make sure that certain things aren't happening, then, you know, you can do that and log it into the app. And if the logging's not happening, then the hospital can keep a little bit better track on your post hospital care which is important. yeah it's a nice idea and even just simple <laughs> stuff like your your phone slash watch tapping you on the wrist or making a bong to tell you you right. never have to go do that exercise so that, that whatever the physio said you got to go do that now five of them please you know, yes that's good yeah, yeah. so yeah. It, it has great potential whether we'll see that potential quickly is another question uh apple oh, apple tv os also got a little bit of tlc uh folders Great, about time. This is with modern, with more and more apps coming out, my home screen was getting a teeny tiny bit cluttered, uh, and a better some Siri tweaks and improvements. Um, probably the Siri not. Siri improvements for me are so much better. Yeah, Search, I mean, searching, searching in YouTube and stuff like that. I just say the words. It's great. Yeah, the dictation is very very helpful. Yeah, really is. I haven't got over the fact that I feel like an idiot talking to my telly, so I just navigate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, I can it, solve it. it. Bart, move to New Zealand where it doesn't work at all. Still. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not <even> dictation. <laughs> uh, the dictation is the speed of it is what impressed me. I mean, it's incredibly fast. I don't know yeah, how. It's quick. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that annoyed me the most about that was I, I updated the OS and I had a look at the search box and there was a little microphone icon in it, but it doesn't work anyway. Oh. I thought, oh. Uh, that was a mean to leave, put the icon in there when I can't use it. And you can't... Do you guys have a... No, go on, Just Adam. curious, is there actually a Siri button on your, or like a microphone button on your remote or do they not even include that? There was a rumor before it was released that that wasn't going to be there, which made me very angry, but it is there. Mm-hmm. Just okay. doesn't do anything. You have the button, but it doesn't do anything. Yeah, so when well, they we, add more we, language We'll do something in the future, yeah. Yeah, now it's a right, software yeah, thing. That... Yeah. If it was a hardware button missing, then they could never fix your Apple TV. Well, they just make you buy a new remote. Oh, that'd go down really well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Sure. At, not like they haven't done something like that in the past, right? <laughs> no, it's true. It's not impossible. I'll grant you that. Okay, I'm going to jump us on to the Apple Watch. The Sport Edition got a $50 price drop, and we got new bands. Uh, so nylon bands for the first time, and we got more colors in the fluoroelastomer sports bands. Uh, and what I also noticed that was rather nice is they've added a nice gallery to their website to help you pick your bands, which is good because I know I want a new band, but I'm really not quite sure which one I want. So I spent quite a bit of time poking around in there, and I've now narrowed it down to two that I think I might want to decide between. Has anybody here picked up one of the nylon bands? Because I read something disturbing about the quality of the, the band. Oh, do, do, do tell. So far, I've only heard good things. I don't have one yet because I can't decide what color I Apparently... It uses really cheap plastic lugs. And I want to say this was Sebastian Page over at iDownload blog who bought three of them. And mm-hmm. two of them, the lugs did not click at all. He, he slid them in and they just slid right out. So they're either defective. They're either having a quality problem because he said the third one did work, but they're plastic. And well, it's sort of like if you're, if you're spending 50 bucks on a 
on a nylon strap, they shouldn't be cheaping out on the lugs. That's all I'm saying. Okay, well, let me... Okay, so the, the sports bonds ones are rubber. And... Right, but it's kind of built into the band, right? So it's, right. it's part of the fluoroelastomer material, and it certainly clicks in, and that material is a high-quality material. Okay, he but... was saying that this plastic feels feels cheap, it reacts cheap, and that does not bode well for the quality. It's fine okay. if they're going to be plastic, but they should be high-quality plastic, right? Because yeah, I wouldn't, I won't buy one that isn't plastic because I'm not putting one metal next to another metal on my sweaty wrist. I've done physics. Right. I, I learned, about, well, I don't chemistry. I wasn't very good at most of it, but I do understand that if you put two metals next to each other in the presence of an electrolyte, you get a corrosion, and I, it maybe it'll take five years to corrode. I don't care, but I really don't feel comfortable putting a stainless steel lug into my aluminium Apple Watch. So well, if either you they a, have aluminum. If you a leather band. That's what you would get, though, right? Yeah, which is why I won't buy a leather band. <laughs> is, is it me? Is it me, or are they just trying to use cheaper and cheaper materials to make these bands and still that's charging the same amount for them? Yeah, um, that would um, be my concern. I, I couldn't. I can't believe that they actually charged so much for a stainless steel band uh, mm. on the original watch, uh, yeah. because stainless uh, most watches had stainless steel bands and they weren't expensive. Um, okay. And then they made. And then they're, now they're making them out of nylon. Is it what? Is it plastic bag ones next? Well, apparently the <laughs> nylon ones are very stylish, and they're in keeping with a certain other company who there was rumours Apple were going to partner with, and then said they made their own. Apparently, it's a it's, it's a fashion thing. Uh, yeah. Oh well, that explains it then. And it is, it's for sure a fashion thing. I don't have any problems with the price if the quality, if the if the lugs again are good quality and they work. But there's been some reports, or at least one report, that okay. said, "Hey, these these are not up to what I feel Apple Snuff is." And I know Sebastian; he's here in he's okay. here in San Diego, and I don't think he would report or say that if it wasn't something he really believed. And he did get three. He got three nylon bands, and and you know it was one third of them were <laughs> were good, two thirds were bad. So hopefully, again, hopefully it's an isolated. You know they're just having an early manufacturing problem, and they get it sorted. Well, but, the other question um, I want to know is when he went back to Apple with the two broken ones, what did they do? If they just gave him new ones, and I'm okay with it. If they told him to get you know to go pound sand, then I'm very much not okay with it. Again, he reported late last week, so I don't know that he's done the follow-up report yet. But I would imagine Apple's just going to—he's just going to take them back to the Apple Store, and they'll just hand him some new ones, and say sorry. The question will be: Do the new, do the lugs on the new ones have the same issue or not? Yeah, because I think Gruber was reporting that they're actually really nice and high quality, and they feel great. Oh, good. So yeah, so I guess I—I uh, I, I, I haven't I, I been to look at them yet. I, so I, don't, don't, I don't know. I can't decide between bright orange or black. So. I'm going to go in and get a look at them, and I just haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be able to report back in next month's show if I hate them or not. Yeah, and I think uh, Barry Falk also got a couple, and I think he really likes them. So, Okay, so there's data points either way. Okay, yeah. um, I'm going to speed us on a bit. iOS 9.3 also got released. Um, there were some problems with it, but they've all been fixed since, which means you don't really have to talk about them. So initially, there were some problems with older iPads, and they released a new version of the updater, and that fixed that. And then there were problems with universal links if you had some app. No, I actually quite figured out what it was, but some apps in some circumstances would trigger nasty, crashy bugs. Uh, and it Apple seemed have... like if the yeah the if the universal if the app's universal link database was extremely large, seemed to be the. The, the trigger, one, the one factor, yeah, which is why it was very limited to only certain apps. Right, that would explain it. Yeah, so nine point three point one was released to address that problem. 
So at this stage, iOS 9.3 should be fine. And the big shiny feature that everyone is talking about is night shift mode to make your phone go yellow. <laughs> nice. Because blue is bad. Anyone, anyone use night shift? I've started using it, and I'm getting more and more used to it. But I, I, it's still very noticeable to me in the evening. And, um, you know, the whole point is to help you sleep, right? It's supposed mm. to help with your sleep cycles to not have the blue LED light and have a more natural uh, light in the evening. So I have it set for the whole sunrise, sunset sort of activation. Um, but the problem for me, I think, becomes that I, I defeat it on purpose because <laughs> oh, most whoop. of the time in the evening... In the evening, what I'm doing is watching movies, and I don't like the yellow shift on my on my films. So yeah, I, I can see why. Off. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, my my approach has been when I turn off the computer for the evening, then I manually turn on night shift. Because I figure there's no point oh, in having oh, an oh, an ugly yellow phone when I'm sitting in front of a PC. Yeah, I've, I've put um, flux or air flux or whatever you want to call it mm. on my Mac. And I have night shift on my iPhone and my iPad, and that's all great. I now need night shift on my study lights, which are bright daylight white. Oh, a huge light bulb <laughs> of some sort, and dial it in to make it yeah. change color. I don't know. Do, do hue light bulbs do 120 watt equivalent output these days? Last Lots time of them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I will. I will Sorry. share one other thing that I had not thought about with Apple implementing this feature is I had a listener of mine email who said, you know, this is really important to me for health reasons because I have I suffer from seizures uh, and rest is very important. It's very important that I get the appropriate amount of rest because it reduces my risk of having seizures. So he was very happy to have the feature. And it was something that I had not considered that there might be medical conditions out there that actually benefit from this feature being built in. Anecdotally, it seems to work for me. It, it, if I'm reading, you know, if I'm reading something in bed before I go to sleep, it seems to not wake me up in the way that turning on my iPhone used to wake me right up again. So, oh, I'm feeling sleepy. I'll have a read of this chapter. Oh, I'm wide awake now. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't seem the, to do that. Yeah. Um, the other well, benefit is picking up your phone to, you know, because an alarm goes off or something happens to just check it and you're not blasted in the face with super bright, you know, blue light. Oh, yeah. That is kind of nice. That is a good point, yeah. Uh, I will I say... Spe- I'm, no, go sorry. On, go on, I have a special feature on, on uh, all of my devices, um, which um, when I go to bed, um, I, I put them in another room, um, and then they can't wake me up, and they don't keep me awake. <laughs> yeah, I used to I... not disturb but <laughs> Yeah, my iPhone's job in the morning is to wake me up. That's its, that's one of it. that's its ah, first function ah. for the day, is to wake me up. Um, I, I just, have a bell alarm for that. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, no, I, I got rid of alarm clocks years ago. Um, just to say, Apple were very, very fluffy. They, they, they were very. They, they didn't make absolute statements on the health uh, health benefits of this contraption, and they were very careful not to make any such absolute statements. And I've been listening to various uh, biologists talking about it, and. The consensus seems to be that definitely a blue light is a problem, but Apple haven't removed all blue light, and they haven't. And brightness is also a problem, and they have dimmed it a bit, but not fully. So the science is definitely not in on whether or not this is a big enough reduction in blue and a big enough reduction in brightness to actually have a measurable effect. So the science is—it's not. It, 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 there is some fuzziness. In the science, there is yeah. There's also the psychological effect, though. If people believe 
something is doing something. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes placebo. It yeah. Actually, it does that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you all believe, doesn't matter what reality is, we'll all believe and it'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> the first new hardware to to be announced at the event was the iPhone SE which is, from the outside, an iPhone 5 with the shiny edges made matte, and on the inside, an iPhone 6S with the Touch ID sensor downgraded, uh, forced touch removed, a slightly less quality screen, and there was some other difference I can't remember. But on the whole, very little difference. So it's a very, very modern phone in an in a familiar shall we definitely if we want to be polite we'll call it a familiar case yeah 5s on the out i mean the way you can think of it is 5s on the outside 6s on the inside because the the display is a 5s display so right okay so yeah so that yeah that makes what sense yeah um i believe this is going to be a very successful product and i was exceptionally disappointed with this product and those two facts are both true uh, because what I wanted was a first-tier iPhone, a 5-inch iPhone 6, as in not an afterthought, not a cheapo phone for people who don't really want to commit. I wanted a f- first-class, top-of-the-range, small iPhone, and Apple have basically, they're not going to do that, I don't think. I think it's pretty clear now that this is... You said 5-inch, you meant 4-inch? Whatever size the iPhone 5 is, yeah. So that is, yeah, yeah sorry, that is 4, you're right, I, I get very confused. Yes, you're right. So and I, I want an iPhone 5-sized modern iPhone, and I think I just got to resign myself to the fact that it's never going to happen. Uh, what do you, You're disappointed just because of the design? It's not the same? I mean, because... Well, okay, not just the design, right? So Functionally, it is, functionally it's, it is exactly that. Well, no, it's not, because t- uh, Force Touch is actually really cool. I use it all the time. Uh, the faster okay. Touch ID sensor is a big deal to me. The fact that my iPad Pro, which I paid a lot of money for, has a slow Touch ID sensor makes me very cranky with Apple, to be perfectly honest. I think they really... Uh, I, I don't know how they can justify sticking a crappy old sensor in a 1,200-euro device. And they've also stuck that crappy old sensor... That's a fair point. Too. In, into this SE. Well, it makes sense in the SE because of the price point, right? But yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm, I'm with so, you on the iPad Pro. Yeah, so I, I I think it's a good device. I think it fills an important need, but I was I would have preferred to have a first-tier, full-priced, 4-inch iPhone 6S. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen, no, so I just need to resign myself. Just stack up all your requirements in a row there, but that's the thing is that Everybody wants exactly what they want, and, and Apple have to figure out how to produce three, four, maybe five different phones that's going to keep everybody happy. Uh, they have to make a cheap one. It makes sense to me that the smallest one will be the cheap one. Therefore, that's what you get, the iPhone SE. Got to correct you there, Alistair. It's cheaper. It's not a cheap phone. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> Cheapest of, of the range. Yeah, yes. see, the thing I take issue with is the concept that size should be a determinant of quality and price. Yes. I, I think that's a flawed idea that the small one is the cheap one. The quality is there. That's, it's a superbly engineered device. But in terms of the price for the size, it, there's more metal in the bigger phones. There's, there's more screen space. There's you know, more of yeah, everything inside but, a big case. Yeah, the thing is, though, miniaturization costs more, so arguably smaller ones should actually be more expensive because they're more difficult to make. Well, except that they already built it that size, so they know how to do it. Yeah, that's... You know, I, I I don't think it's a given that you should that the small size means it should be a non first class device. But that's what Apple have chosen to do. That's the device they've chosen to make. It's the 
it's the spiritual successor of the iPhone 5C, I think, in some ways. Well, you know, yeah. The other thing is this, this is, this is a move to help remedy a business problem that Apple has with the iPhone right now. Mm. Right. And that is that iPhone sales are slowing because it's a mature product and there's only so much more they can do with it. And they're getting a lot of black in the media and stuff for like innovation and you didn't do this and you didn't do that. Um, you know, I did a whole segment on my show after this announcement that basically was titled, if you were disappointed by what Apple announced, it's your fault. Oh yeah. And I freely accept that. <laughs> right. And I, you're, 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 you're copying to that for sure. Yeah. But a lot of people were, were just angry. And I said, you know what? The problem is, is now that for Apple, everybody has their own expectations about what Apple should do. And it usually centers around, they're not making the product that I want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I am angry and I am disappointed because Apple didn't do the thing that I wanted them to do for me. By the way, I'm not and, angry. I'm uh, just disappointed. Just no, yeah, the disappointed. But I'm I not, think so, I've, I think I'm not I've, talking I've, about you. I'm talking about in general, there was a lot of negative reaction, especially in the tech media uh, among geeks, because it's like you didn't give me what I, what I wanted or what I thought you should have announced. But the products that were announced are very important for Apple's lineup and um, bottom line, as you pointed out, Bart, you know, they're going to sell a ton of these and this is going to be a very popular model for them. So and 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 big in and it's already proving to with the numbers to show that in switchers and first time buyers, this is a very appealing device. And that's a market that Apple has not really served very well so far. And that that market is also polar opposite from, um, you know, tech nerds who buy everything day one. I think I was a bit disappointed personally because not not because they didn't they're not doing what i well they, they are they aren't doing what i want but it the, the reason i'm disappointed more than anything else is that we're not seeing anything genuinely new from them you know we've we've over the last 10 years we've had great innovation not just innovation great new things that have completely revolutionized everything and i know they can't do that every year but the fact is we've had um an iPhone, we've had another iPhone, we've had a slightly bigger and always faster <laughs> iPhone, uh, we've had uh, an iPad, great, that's something completely new, and then we got another iPad, and now we've got a bigger iPad, and, and now it's got, it's got smaller again, and I just, well, you, I would just like to Apple see something watch, genuinely can... new from them, and I know that, I can't, you know, I can't say what that would be, but it would be just great to see Apple take on something completely new something they could revolutionize like the watch and the car uh yeah i suppose except that i haven't bought the watch (laughs) i I have and i I find i I really do find that a revolutionary device like it it has a a research kit or uh apple tv i'm not saying they're not not, don't get me wrong i'm not (laughs) saying they're not they're not doing anything innovative Right. So I think that's what I've heard people say is you can't say they're not doing innovative. And, and, and far from it, they're constantly innovating. Uh, all the tech they put into their phones is constantly changing. Right. But still phones. You're, you're talking just, about new new revolutionary products or products that they haven't done before. But again, I talked about this in my show as well. People People have this re- revisionist version of history. And if you go back and look and, and really – Start to map out those milestone moments for Apple and go back as far as you want. Start with the the transition to Intel processors and then the iPod 
and then the iPhone and the iPad and the Apple Watch and map out how many years apart those those innovations are. And what people forget is we're in that in-between cycle. It takes three, four, five years between those events. So give Apple a couple more years and maybe we'll see a car. And there's yeah, a whole new innovative product. And it's not they're not on any different schedule. And what's so funny is I think because the pace of innovation has become so rampant and just the times we live in, people are expecting more in a shorter time frame. Yeah, but I it's also never think, happened that way. I also think it's it's down to the fact that they now drip feed us stuff. whereas in the past we'd get a, a big leap between one operating system release and another. Because they're drip feeding things. No, that's not fair on them, I suppose, to call it drip feeding. But because, because well, we're getting small increases, but it's a then, different then model, we don't right? see the big picture. Yeah, see, the old model of giving us a big shiny OS update actually caused us, us as end users, it was fun for us nerds. But it also meant that people had to do these really scary upgrades and people would hold off for ages. And they also used to charge us for those upgrades. So that's true. I do much prefer this incremental approach, which is also the approach Microsoft is going with. They have just basically said that Windows 10 is it, and we're just going to keep incrementing it. So, but I think I think that it, it's a natural, um, it's a natural progression from that that people tend to get a little bit disappointed, especially if you have a a whole announcement like this where you're not actually announcing an awful lot. You're See, I, saying, this, yeah, I had a similar I had a similar view until someone pointed out to me, yeah, they advertise an event in their town hall. This was not yeah, a small big media blowout event. event. Yeah. So I guess we should a couple you know, a few hundred and probably not even a few hundred, you know, there was I don't, how many people is that theater seat? Like three hundred? A couple hundred and it wasn't yeah, full. So you're talking a couple hundred journalists and that's about it. Yeah, I I, you know, again, I, 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 I appreciate all those things, but I still projecting. I would still like to see Apple do, do something really cool. And they will, uh, they will, they will, <laughs> they will on their normal cycle. It's just people think that there's like this ramped up cycle for some reason, and I don't, I don't, I, I'm baffled as to where it comes from because if you look at the history, it, it there isn't this new revolutionary product that everybody else is going to copy more frequently than every four to five years. There just isn't. There, there never has been. So also, I don't know why people think the pace has slowed down. But, well, well, we, well, we got the app, we got the iPhone and the iPad fairly close together, didn't we? Three years. There was three years between those, and one could argue that the iPad is just a bigger iPhone. I mean, it, it, the iPad is certainly not the innovation that the iPhone was. I mean, you could and say that we had a Mac and then we had a laptop Mac, but yeah, okay, laptops were innovations over desktops, but not really the same level as, as what you know as the innovations that came before. So you know, the, part, part of the go on, sorry, part of the reason that the iPad came so quickly after the iPhone was the iPad actually started first. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. And I, I, screens, yeah. yeah, and I, yeah. I think another more recent thing that everybody's looking at, going well, you know, then Apple should be doing something in VR or augmented reality because look, we've got Oculus Rift and we've got the the Samsung uh, Gear VR, and this is becoming a big thing. And Apple is Apple is not innovating, and they're behind. The reality is, is that we know from the rumors that they've hired a ton of people in these fields and they've been doing a lot of research and development. But again, people also forget that Apple is hardly ever first to market because the problem with all these people that are first to market is they have no idea what they're going to do with the technology. They're just throwing the technology out there because it's cool. And it's yeah. going to be Apple who in a year or two is going to bring out a VR augmented reality system and everybody's going to go, 
oh, that's what this is for. You know, yeah. they're going to have a full solution and you're going to go, oh, yeah, now it makes sense. Now I want one. Now I understand. I'm not going to have this thing that, you know, is just floundering around and everybody's trying to figure out for two or three, the next two or three years, exactly what the heck to do with it. Right. Oh, uh, HoloLens, too, hmm. which to me is the, the most interesting of all of the ones that we've seen so far. But again, even Microsoft really quite hasn't figured out how people are going to actually what people are going to actually do with it yet. Yeah. Well, yeah, ye yesterday, a... yesterday I went right. to the um, in the UK, we have a program called the Gadget Show. Mm -hmm. and, and they do something called Gadget Show Live uh, at the NEC, which is just down the road from me. Um, and so I thought, oh, I'll go to that, definitely. And uh, I really splashed out uh, in the new VR world. I spent £12.50 on some Google Cardboard. Hey! <laughs> so that's my foray into, um, into VR. Well, I think that's a good way to do and it. Because... Cardboard is cool. Yeah, it, it is. It's yeah. great fun. Yeah, because you're now experimenting. You, you can that. now get an idea of what the possibilities are without spending thousands of dollars. I think that's a very good uh, way to play around in a whole new space that no one really knows what it's for. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Here, yeah here's a little fun, Adam, fun the, trip. Uh, what? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I agree with you on the, the Microsoft HoloLens being the most interesting because it's augmented reality, not virtual reality. Right. Uh, that I can see having you know much better real-world uses. Hmm. Okay, guys, I am going to oh. jump us along, I think, because we're, we're, we're well over the hour mark and we still have uh, a whole other new piece <laughs> of hardware to talk about. Sorry, probably my fault. No, oh, no, I mean, it's a good conversation, right? It's just, I've got to watch the time I have work in the morning. Um, so the other piece of hardware we got was a small iPad Pro or a powerful normal size iPad, depending on your point of view. So this is the same size, I think... The physical dimensions didn't change from the iPad Air, did they, Adam? No, they're exactly the same. Exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same. So then you yeah, take... to the point where the cases would even fit if the ports weren't changed. Ah, know, okay. The location so of things weren't changed. Yeah. <laughs> so the things that make the iPad Pro Pro, I guess, are support for the pencil and support for this new dock adaptery thing. I don't Smart know. connector. Smart connector, that's the one. So those two things have come to and this the, smaller iPad Pro along with a new technology we haven't seen before. Actually, also along with the four-speaker dynamic speakers. audio yep. coolness. Yep. And then we get a new feature that we haven't come across yet in other devices, which is an ambient light sensor, which is measuring the color of the ambient light so that it can then recalibrate the screen so that white will look white, which they're calling True Tone. And the amount of people I have heard confuse the features True Tone and Nightstand mode to conclude that photography is dead is disappointing. Oh, you mean Night Shift? Night Shift, sorry, yes. Yeah, so people confuse them and it's, it's just, they're not the same thing. They both involve light and they both involve colors, but they are completely not a different things. So the point of Night Shift is to make it intentionally the wrong color. And the point of True Tone is to make it intentionally look correct. It's the like right calibrating color. your screen. Uh, is that really is that really accurate though, Bart? Because well, I, thought, it is, because... I thought the reality was so that it would react as if paper, 
like paper, like actual physical paper would react right. given the lighting in the room. So yes. if you're in a room that has warm color light being thrown down onto a sheet of paper, that sheet of paper is the white of that sheet of paper is going to be influenced by the light in the room. And so in this case, uh, the screen now emulates that thing because obviously, you know, with an LCD, it's it's blasting light at you. It's not reflecting light at you. So right. So it's about um, you know, perception of color, not about the measured millimeter wavelength of color. So if, you, if you read a book in, uh, in bed with a nightlight on, your brain right. sees white. If you were to take a measuring device and measure the spectrum, that spectrum would be orange, but your brain sees it as white. Now, you have a Got book okay. or a piece of paper on your desk, and you have your laptop or your iPad in this case – the iPad will look blue. It won't be blue. It'll be actually white if you were to measure it, but it will look blue because your eyes are white adjusted to everything else in the room. And so with the true tone right. display, you will see the color like it should look, even though if you measure it, it will be wrong. And what matters right. is our perception. Good. So that, yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah, that's Which is confusing. That's right? what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Well, I was Wouldn't trying to get be at perfect. because I come, I come from the printing world and every time you're measuring colors – you know, you're pulling sheets off a press, you're going over to a, you know, set calibrated light so mm. that you can actually match the actual colors, right? Just like you were talking about. So you want to make sure that white is white and blue is blue and red is red, as was spec'd when it was designed. But most people are not going to see it that way because, as you pointed out, you get your magazine, you're sitting down in your incandescent light in your living room, and those colors are all going to be shifted. Would it be correct to say, Bart, that when you're calibrating your screen with one of those you know, expensive calibration mm -hmm. devices, that the first step is to set up your room as it will be when you're using it? Correct. The very first yeah. thing they tell yeah. you is set the screen brightness yeah. the way you're going to leave it and set the ambient light the way it's going to be because it will affect the calibration. Yeah. Yep. Okay, uh, is there anything else we need to say about the iPad, the, the big iPad Pro? Oh, yeah, it also comes there now, and they added this feature back into the Giganto iPad as well. It now comes with a 256-gig model, so it is really becoming laptop-y in terms of how much data you can pump onto these things. First iPad with an LED flash. Oh, good point. That hadn't occurred to me. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Very first iPad with an LED flash. Um, it has the it has a a better camera than the iPad Pro. It has the 12 megapixel on the back and a 5 megapixel on the front as opposed to an 8 and a 1.2. Hmm. So the camera system is actually better in this one than on the iPad Pro um, 12.9. Now, the bigger iPad Pro, the two advantages it has is it has 4 gigs of RAM versus 2, which are in the, the 9.7 iPad Pro. And um, the USB or the lightning connector basically um, on the iPad Pro 12.9 has support for USB 3, mm. so faster data transfer versus the uh, 9.7, which is still USB 2. And the main reason that's important is Apple released a cable, um, a USB to Lightning cable that if you have, or a USB-C rather to mm -hmm. Lightning cable. So if you have a MacBook, which has a 12 watt or 29 watt charger, um, you can actually use that now with the iPad Pro to charge at a fast rate. It charges uh, about twice, a little better than twice as fast because the iPad Pro with the USB 3 can support a 29-watt charger, but the one that Apple ships is only the, the standard 12-watt charger. Yeah. Cool. One yeah, other feature that the 12.9-inch iPad Pro has over the other one 
is a bigger screen and not just <laughs> yes. in the same way that an iPad Air is bigger than an iPad Mini because they have the same number of pixels, but it's got more pixels. Yes. And people who like to use the split view um, say that it's, it's still much more functional on the larger iPad. Which I guess is, yeah, it's like having a 27-inch iMac versus a 21-inch iMac. There are more pixels there, so you can do more stuff at once. Yep. Uh, I was surprised they called it a pro. Yeah. I, I, I suppose I, I mean I suppose the reason is is exactly what you said at the beginning, but um, the the pen support and whatever. But yes, it's the pen I, support. I was just that. surprised they called it a pro. That's all. I just think that confuses the lineup a little. I wonder where we're trying to get to. So, if you think about the laptop lineup, screen size doesn't determine proness. Right? It's your it's your connectivity that determines your proness. So they have 13-inch both consumer model, the consumer laptops and pro laptops. So I guess if you start to think of the iPad as a computer instead of an iPhone, then it does make sense that you will choose whether you want a pro device or a non-pro device, and then you choose what size screen you want. Okay, I, yeah. I, yeah. So I, they're aligning it with the computers. Yeah, that would make sense, I suppose. Yeah, I think this is a precursor to the whole Air lines going away on both sides, both on notebooks and on iPads. Yeah, because the 12-inch MacBook is like an Air, only more Air-like, because it weighs less and is smaller. So it's much more Air-like than the Air line. So if if the Air... Where Apple are going with the names is always somewhere that they are not currently. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fair point. (laughs) Yeah, they are perpetually seeking, aren't they? And just as soon as they arrive, they change their mind and they head off somewhere else again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the next one will be called the iPad, I expect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but this kind—I mean, it kind of—it kind of. Well, that—I that, I think that's where we're going to end up. I think we're going to end up with you're going to have an iPad Mini, you're going to have an iPad, and you're going to have an iPad Pro. And I think by the same token, you know, on the notebooks, you're going to have MacBooks and MacBook Pros. You know, I think yeah. they are moving toward. You have the consumer and you have the pro. You have the consumer and you have the pro. And I think that's sort of where where we're going to land. Because I, I think the days are coming to an end when the iPads are going to have these, you know, distinct names for every version. Like we've stopped naming different right. MacBooks different things. It's just right. the MacBook or the MacBook Pro, and we're going to head. And then they have different that. screen sizes. So I, you know, I can see the same thing, you know, with the iPad Mini and the iPad and the iPad Pro. I can see the iPad Mini going away. You have the choice of an iPad with a small screen or a medium-sized screen, or an iPad Pro with a medium-sized right. screen or a big screen. Correct. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Okay, um, I think that sort of takes us to the end of the Apple special event. And we've already sort of covered the meta stuff, which is basically the question of were we disappointed or not. So I don't think we need to go back into that. It, two important anniversaries happened in March of 2016. Um, OS X on March 24th was 15 years old. So it's way back in 2001 that uh, OS X came out. Uh, and almost should- drive in the U.S., Oh, wow. Okay, that's a bit scary. <laughs> when could it buy a gun? Oh, it could already do that. Oh, okay. That's even more scary. <laughs> don't, don't get crazy. <laughs> um, there's a link in the show notes to an article uh, from Computer World that sort of looks at OS X from Apple's point of view back then, and it really was quite the gamble. I mean, we now think of it as a venerable old OS, but it was, it was quite the wild shot when they took it. Uh, so it's interesting to get the context there. So that's in the show notes. Um and then also, of course, on the 1st of April, which is technically not in March, but it's before we recorded this show. So on the 1st of April, uh, Apple turned 40. 
so there's a link in the show notes to a nice retrospective from Mac Rumors going through all the Apple stuff since day one. Uh, and to mark the 40th anniversary, Apple reef, Apple flew the pirate flag from the original Mac team, which is the, the normal pirate flag with an apple over a, a color, a rainbow apple over one of the eyes as an eye patch, which I think was a nice sort of yeah. uh, nice retrospective. There's so many people that probably don't um, even remember that. So that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, that's, that's one you do for your staff. I think that that was very much uh, an inside one. On it. That was something to do within Apple instead of for the world at large. Right. I just I wonder how many Apple employees came to work that day and like, what the heck is this? <laughs> Have we been taken over? <laughs> I don't remember right? it, but I read, I read about it in the book. So I knew what it was immediately. <laughs> I think there used to be, didn't there used to be an Easter egg part on the early, like back in Mac OS 6 or 7, where you could uh, See, you're you, going before so you go to the about now. screen. And, oh, yeah. Back then, I think there, there used to be an Easter egg, Easter egg where you could get an image of the flag to come up on, on the Mac. Oh, well, that makes sense. In, like, the About box or something like that, and I, I don't remember how you did it. But. I remember there was an Easter egg in a version of Word where you could get a photograph of the original Microsoft Teams. <laughs> That's where I was in them days. Um, yeah, I didn't come to OS X. I didn't come to the Mac until 10.3 Panther. Which means I wasn't a Mac user yet in 2009. So I've been a Mac user for less than 15 years, is what I can conclude from this conversation. Yeah, 2007 is when I got bought my first iMac. Which is the year the iPhone came out, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and believe it or yes. not, what sold me on it was the um, was seeing the OS. Yeah. The, so the, which would have been... Yeah. Which one was it? Oh, Leopard. Right. In, was it Leopard 3 or 4? Oh, it's, after, it was left. it's after yeah, three, it's so it's got to be four, which was... Uh, tiger. Four was, it was Tiger. It was after Tiger. No, it was after Tiger. So I think it was Leopard. Leopard, I then, saw yeah. it and thought, and thought, oh, I like that. And that's that's where my Mac journey began. began. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, by that stage, I had become a Linux user because Windows XP made me cranky. <laughs> I'm not surprised. And Linux made me cranky for a whole different reason, but I really liked what was underneath the hood. I wasn't all that fond of the hood. Uh, yeah. And then when the Mac came along and it gave me all the stuff that was under the hood, and it looked like real good—not just good, but real good—I was like, okay, yeah, this 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 is the this is the OS for me. And actually, the Mac Mini—that's what got me on board. It's like, ah, oh, great! It's not a big expense after all. I'm just going to buy this tiny little box, throw away the giant big box I have on my desk, and put this tiny little box here instead. Okay, um, given our time constraints, I'm going to move us along. So Apple released their annual supplier responsibility report. Uh, To do so, they carried out 640 audits covering 1.6 million workers in 25 countries. They found a 97% compliance with their 60-hour workweek limit, uh, which is apparently an unprecedented number in the industry, if we are to believe Apple. Uh, I would also say that well. <laughs> 97% of 1.6 million is still an awful lot of people working more than 60 hours a week. Well, yeah. The other, the other thing is you have to recognize that, you know, Apple is doing the audits, but a lot of these companies, <laughs> um, let's just say their books aren't always forthcoming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff that gets hidden. Yeah, so, so, but that, Apple's doing the best that they can is the point, the point of this. You know, they're doing yeah. the things that they're trying to do. They use independent auditors, you know, but... Keep in mind, even when they're saying 97%, there's good odds that that's not even happening. 
Yes. But of course, the other companies are also using independent auditors. And if they're getting lower right. numbers, then that means that relatively right. speaking, Apple is still doing better. Correct. Yeah. Uh, they also have graduated over a thousand workers through their uh, SEED program, which is basically a way for employees to get uh, up to bachelor's level qualifications. Uh, and they have said that their supply chain has lowered its carbon emissions by more than 13,000 metric tons, nearly 14,000 metric tons, and that they have diverted more than 73,000 metric tons away from landfill. So that that's, I guess, starting to tackle the whole how much of renewables are we using. Um, not quite, but it's, you know they're at least measuring that kind of thing and measuring that it's going down. So I guess that's good. And then what you referred to earlier, Adam, they also focused on conflict minerals and they are making all of their smelters and refiners be monitored by an outside third party, which is a way to tackle the terrible abuses there, I think. Right. So You I- skipped over one of the points there, but that uh, they've trained over 9.2 million workers in their rights. Thank you, because that's an important one, actually. Uh, tra- training yeah, workers yeah. what workers' rights are is very, very important. Anything else we want to say on that one? No, just good job on Apple. I mean, they are kind of leading the way in the industry, I think, um, in, in this area, you know, with their transparency and the stuff that they're reporting, sort of in the same way they are with their environmental efforts as well, so... Yeah. Uh, what, what, what I like is their approach of having outside third-party monitoring because that makes it all a lot more robust. And so the notion – so that they, they started with third-party monitoring on the labor stuff and they seem to be getting good traction there. So if they can get some traction with third-party monitoring of the conflict minerals, then that would be great because that's probably the most icky part of the Apple supply chain at the moment is where some of these minerals are coming from. Yeah. Okay. Um I'm going to be very quick on this because we have lots of stuff to talk about. So another American state has decided that it should proactively discriminate against LGBT people. And it is a state in which Apple do business. It is a state in which Google do business and which Facebook do business. And many other companies do business. It is the state of North Carolina, which is where their Maidenhead data center is. And also where the city of Charlotte is. And Charlotte is... A city that's gone out of its way to be progressive and welcoming and open and has succeeded in attracting in an awful lot of business with that inclusive attitude. I mean, that's what makes Charlotte Charlotte is that attitude. And what triggered this law was that Charlotte passed a city ordinance protecting LGBT people from discrimination. And the state legislature used an emergency session. So they consider people having rights an emergency that must be resolved, which makes me extra cranky. And they had an emergency session to outlaw non-discrimination local charters. So local non-discrimination laws have just become illegal. So your city can't protect people within its city anymore. And it is also illegal for a transgender person to use the the quote-unquote wrong bathroom, which is, of course, not the wrong bathroom for these people. It's the right bathroom for these people. Uh, And they rushed it all through literally in a matter of hours with the governor waiting for it to show up on his desk. So the whole thing is underhanded and disgusting and proactively taking away rights and proactively making life harder for transgender people. Like, yeah, because they're having such an easy time of it. This is really great. Let's, let's, let's embarrass them on a daily basis for their basic bodily functions. Well done. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm immensely cranky about this. Yeah, well, Apple and Google and Facebook are immensely crank, cranky about it too. Yes. Yeah. 
actively reversing progress is just nasty. Yeah, yeah to, to fail to progress is... That makes me grumbly. But only grumbly. But, yeah, but to go out of your way to undo progress, is that takes a whole other level of personality. That, that, that takes active malice. Unfortunately, so, uh, that's the. That, unfortunately, human beings are like that, and I know it's not something we should accept, but it happens. Sadly, yeah. sadly, yeah. You know, I, I, I've been saddened by things I've seen in the UK over you know the last ten years, where we've gone positively backwards with discrimination generally, which um, is very. Unfortunate. I think it's dreadful. Yeah, dreadful, dreadful. So I guess good for uh, good for Apple, Google, and Facebook for uh, sticking their heads above the parapet and saying this isn't right. Yes, exactly. Which yeah. is the point we should we should yeah, that that is the the point we should end. That Apple at least are fighting this kind of thing in whatever ways they can. Well, I want to know if it's going to work, and it, and and the real proof is going to come if North Carolina does not change. I mean, Apple mm-hmm. and Google and Facebook are basically saying we're not going to do business with you guys anymore. But as you pointed out, Bart, Apple has a huge investment in this massive data center, and I think they're expanding it or have already expanded it. Yeah. Um, you know, are they going to tear it all down and and leave? Like, will they will they go that far? That's got to be hard. But I hope that's what they do. I hope they just go well. There, you know, there's a few billion dollars out the window and and move on. But I don't know. That's not going to be easy for them, and it's certainly mm-hmm. not going to happen overnight. I mean, yeah, it's more realistic to say that we're doing nothing new in North Carolina until this changes. That that's probably right. more realistic because you also have the fact that Apple are a public traded company, so they can't just throw away a few billion dollars because that will. Yeah. Result. So what happens if they call their bluff? I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying. Is you know, will North Carolina call the bluff? And it, and is the threat? Oh, we're just not going to do any more business with you. <laughs> They're already doing a lot of business. In North Carolina, so yeah, we, they could also start to pull back. I mean, like, like Charlotte in particular is in. Like, I, I heard interviews with the mayor of Charlotte, and that's not an easy job right now because the the city's whole thing has been to go out and seek business exactly because they're an inclusive and welcoming city, and now they've just been told that it is illegal to be so, and now they're trying yeah. to make everyone not run away. So everyone, on the one hand, all these companies are there because they believe in equality. And that very reason is now going to drive them out of Charlotte. So, the, you know, I feel exceptionally sorry for Charlotte, which is a city that's done, you know, tried so hard and was being successful. Yeah. Bad story. Yeah. Uh, also, some quiet little changes on Apple News. Um, Apple have opened up publishing to anyone, basically. So bloggers, whoever you still, you obviously still be vetted. It's, it's still Apple; they're not just completely throwing the doors open. But anyone can now apply, and there are plugins for WordPress, so it's quite easy to publish to the platform if you so feel. And Business Insider is also reporting that the back end is in place to start including what are called native ads, which are basically ordinary news posts that are actually paid for by someone so they're they're like posts but they're actually ads of a sort so it's sponsored posts i guess native advertising is the the buzzword for them anyway so apparently the back end is in place for native advertising but it doesn't seem to have rolled out yet so maybe there's something on the way there anyone actually use apple news um i look at it yeah there's only three countries can i think there were six or something Maybe that's why I've never seen it. Crazy reason. <laughs> it's only available in certain countries. That makes no sense to me whatsoever, considering you know, a lot of what we mm. see 
in other parts of the world is from CNN or BBC anyway. Yeah, yeah world news, surely you can share with yeah. everyone. I mean, okay, don't give me the local news uh, about what's happening in County Kildare, but you can tell me what's happening on planet Earth. There is an advertising rev share element to it, so it's probably related to doing deals or setting up you know, tax yeah. things. I don't know. There's There's probably some things that they have to do on the back end to open it up because of the revenue sharing or ad sharing. I don't know. Right, yeah. How do you sell ads globally? Well, websites sell ads globally, though. Well, Apple and Apple sells ads globally through apps, but, I mean, maybe there's different law. I don't know how, you know, I'm not in that side of the business, so I don't know what what could be preventing them, but obviously there is something. I don't think it's purely just, oh, we want to deny these countries access to this content. It's got, there's There's got to be some sort of business reason that we're just not privy to. Or it's simply a case that this is all new, so we're going to build it up slowly instead of opening the floodgates. Yeah, maybe it's infrastructure. But, I mean, again, I find that hard to believe, well, too, with the kind the of infrastructure and money they have. Yeah, the countries they've chosen probably account for about half of their customer base, so I don't think it's that. Hmm. Okay, yeah. so, yeah, they're certainly not slowing it down. Okay. Um, I, I, I've been using it a little bit, just to answer the original mm-hmm. question. Um, and I'm using it more... What I've discovered is I'm a big RSS person, and I mm. have a certain way that I have to read articles for um, the show. But on a Sunday morning when I'm having a cup of coffee and I just want to catch up on what's happening in the world, it's actually a pretty nice platform to use. Okay. That's good to know. All right. Uh, just before we wrap up the show, I'm just going to mention a few things that are are worthy of a mention but not really up to much discussion. So I think last time we were joking that Foxconn almost bought Sharp, and then Pretty much just as the show was coming out, they went, oh, my God, you owe how much money? Uh, and they uh, paused. So at the time, the, the, it was a $5 billion deal. Well, now it's become a $3.5 billion deal to make up for the, oh, my God, you owe how much? Uh, but the deal is going ahead. So Foxconn are buying display maker Sharp, which I guess a lot of those displays end up in Apple products. So it probably makes sense for that to consolidate. Uh, you are finally able to re-download audiobooks you purchased from the iTunes store. So that may be of use Woo-hoo! to people. Exactly. <laughs> Very much used to people. <laughs> yeah, you don't even big. know. My my daughter buys audiobooks and, and you know, we've had situations where we've I've had to reset the device and I've forgotten that oh <gasps> yeah, the audiobooks. Yeah. Luckily Apple has been kind and, you know, allowed me to after going through iTunes support, re-download those, but to not have to deal with that anymore is, is going to be yeah. a nice thing. It's it's nice to see books joining the 21st century in that regard. Uh, Apple have also released a new version of Safari for nerds, which is the technology preview version of Safari, basically a stable beta they're describing it as. So you kind of get a look at the cool new stuff coming to Safari before the cool new stuff makes it to real Safari. Um, the nice thing is it can I don't run- have to go to WebKit anymore. Yeah, exactly, which means you can run it side-by-side with with real Safari, and also it can actually use iCloud because it's a proper app through the App Store. So that that is cool for nerds, but probably only for nerds. Uh, Apple have also struck a deal with Major League Baseball to provide all the teams with iPad Pros, which I guess is a nice mirror image of the deal Microsoft have with one of the other big sports leagues. And Apple were called up to EU to have a little chat about their taxes in Ireland, and Apple basically went... Yeah, we pay absolutely everything we legally have to. Not, we're not doing anything wrong. Toodle pip. Uh, it remains Question to be seen. You. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say it yeah. remains to be seen how this whole European thing pans out because 
the European Commission is getting a lot of pushback on this whole tax probe and there's an awful lot of internal European politics going on because I guess Americans aren't probably aware of the backstory to this, but traditionally high-tax countries like France really resent the fact that Ireland still has the rights within the European Union to set its own tax rate. And they really detest the fact that Ireland is attracting way more investment by having these low tax rates than France manages to attract with its very high tax rates. And they want to force Ireland not to be allowed to set low tax rates. And of course, the Irish, for whom this was an active policy to attract in business that was very successful, the Irish are kind of going, no, you're not getting to torpedo our whole economy, thanks very much. So it's a massive big fight within Europe over who has the right to set tax rates. And countries like Ireland and Luxembourg are very much trying to hold on to the rights to set their own tax rate. And countries like France and Germany would very much like Ireland not to have the right to do that and would like to have high tax rates across the whole of Europe. So Apple are kind of caught up in something that's really not their fault. Yeah. So how is that going as an as an American who's outside of that? Where is it heading and what do you and think is going to happen? Or is it not going to do anything very help? quickly, right? This dynamic has been at play for at least 15 years and will probably be at play for the next 20. So this is an ongoing friction that is unlikely to have any sort of dramatic resolution. It's just a lot of people being cranky. And so these are hearings, <laughs> right? These are just hearings right. yeah. to make a political point. To, you know, I don't think very much is going to come out of this. I, I yeah. don't think it's a big deal. I mean, deal, the, the good news on Apple's side is Apple is already committed to say, look, if it changes, you know, we will happily pay whatever we owe. Yeah, right? which is Apple's policy, right? We, you set the tax rate, we'll pay the tax. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, again... It's more it's more of an issue for Ireland as a nation than it is for Apple as a company, significantly so. Because we, Apple are happy to be here, but we need Apple more than they need us. And it's not just Apple. If, if, if we lose our tax rate, we lose Google, we lose Microsoft, we lose the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, like There is an awful, we're the only English-speaking Euro country. So... And if the if actually if Britain leave the EU, then we become the only the only English speaking member of the financial of the uh, of the single market, which would be even better for us, I guess. So yeah, it's a much bigger picture, really. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not just Ireland either, is it? I mean, it, it it's about the fact that if you make tax laws, people will try and find legal ways to ev- evade paying it, and that's perfectly legal. I was going to say, don't you mean avoid? Don't you mean, isn't avoid legal and evade illegal? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not worried about the actual tech, the actual word. All I know is that it's legal to do one of them. Yeah, basically <laughs> and, jurisdiction shopping. Yes. Um, yes, and it's whether it's morally right or not is, 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 the, is the matter, isn't it? But, it is, because, so it's not, and it's not a simple decision, right? Because... If you tax companies heavily, then the companies are obviously contributing more to your society. So there is a feeling in Ireland that we may have our tax rate too low because an awful lot of money passes through here, but not a lot of it stays here. So maybe these companies should be contributing more to our roads and infrastructure than they are. So Yeah, you know, uh, that's the other argument, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not straightforward at all. So there's, a, there's also pressure within Ireland that maybe we should nudge it up by a percent or two. But at the same time, everyone in Ireland is united in the opinion that it should be our decision what our tax rate is. So, uh, and we've, had, of... we've, we've had issues here with uh, Google, for instance, you know, where they just haven't paid any tax for the last five years. Or, And I might, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm quoting off the top of my head. That mm. probably isn't the case. But 
but there certainly have been occasions when they've just basically said, oh, oh, so we haven't. Um, okay, here's ta- here's some tax money. Uh, go away, kind of thing. Um, it, it's difficult, isn't it? This international stuff. I'll never understand it. Right, because I think Google have something called basically the American Google licenses stuff from Google Ireland. So technically, all the profit is Irish profit, not American profit. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's all sorts of tricks. I believe a nickname for one of them is a Dutch sandwich with a double Irish or something, or an Irish with a double Dutch sandwich. <laughs> like you, you combine tax laws in different jurisdictions, and the com- combination is greater than the sum of the two parts. Where by greater I mean much, much, much less in terms of the actual amount of tax you pay. It, it, it's quite complicated. Um, but Holland, the Dutch, the Irish, and the Luxembourgers tend to be involved somewhere. They're, they're three low-tax countries in Europe. And definitely not the French. I may have told you this story before. Um, I, used to, I used to work in the civil service many years ago. Uh, and we were t- taught about uh, taxation. Mm. And uh, apparently when they brought in pay-as-you-earn in, in the UK, um, and they brought in a lower earnings limit... Mm-hmm. Um, some clever employer somewhere decided that what he'd actually do is pay his employees with a, with a gold. Um, I'm forget what the currency was called now. Some sort a of gold, gold coin, anyway. Yes, a gold coin, which basically they could then sell, and and would give them a salary, but was still legally at that time a pound and a shilling, a guinea. That was it. It was still legally at the time a pound and a shilling. Therefore, he wouldn't have to pay any any tax on it. They'll always (laughs) find a way. They will. will. They'll always find a way. Yeah, because you've got to set your policy in such a way that you still get something coming into the state coffers. It's not straightforward at all. Okay, so so much for my quick stories. Uh, But that was a good discussion. (laughs) (laughs) We're still under two hours. Sorry, again, it's probably my fault I derailed it. No, no, no. If we go quick. It was good. If we go quick. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're done, actually. That was the last story of my show notes. So thank you very much to everyone for donating of your time, especially because I took a little bit more than I'd intended to. Um, let me see. In reverse order, I think we ended with the United Kingdom. So that must mean that Nick was the last person introduced. So, Nick, do you want to tell people where they can find you online? And obviously, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, as always, Bart. Thank you for having me again. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter occasionally. Uh, under the name Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Excellent. And Alistair, I think next, where, where can people find more of you? It was great to be on again. Thank you, Bart. Uh, now that our time zone's finally lined up. Uh, everything me can be found on my personal website, which is zkarj.me. Excellent. Thank you very much, Alistair. And finally, Adam, where can people listen to more of your wonderful content? Uh, you can find me at the MacCast.com or MacCast on iTunes, also MacCast on Twitter. And I also do the iOS show, uh, if you're more into iOS stuff, with Michael Johnston and Jeff Gamet at the iOSshow.com. Excellent. Okay. Oh, and one, one other quick thing. Okay. Uh, so it got mentioned earlier, the UK Gadget Show. Um, <laughs> I posted a link for Bart to put in the show notes, but uh, I was actually featured on the Gadget Show back in 2005. Uh, when oh, wow. podcasting was just getting going. So there's a clip on my website um, cool. <laughs> of that video. Excellent. I'll pop that into the box. Check that out. <laughs> Excellent. 
Okay, um, there are detailed show notes, or there will be when the show is posted, over at lets-talk.ie, so links to all the stories that were used to inform uh, the agenda for this show, um, quite a lot of them this month. Uh, and also, while you're over there enjoying the detailed show notes, you will see three large blue buttons in the sidebar, which uh, come under the heading Support the Show. Uh, so there is a Patreon link where you can become a patron of the show and you basically pledge a small amount and each time I put out a show, then that small amount goes towards me. There is a plain old PayPal button, which does what it says in the tin. And then there is a Zazzle store where you can buy branded merchandise with the Let's Talk logos on it, which means that you get some things and you also become a walking advertisement for the show, which is kind of nice of you. Uh, and obviously I get a small kickback as well from the Zazzle sale. Uh, a big thank you to everyone who does support the show, uh, particularly the Patreon subscribers. The fact that you guys exist is what makes it possible for this show to exist because every month the bills come in and then to pour money into the hole made by those bills, the Patreon money comes in on the 5th of every month and it is, it's a, it's a big deal to me actually that those two are getting close to balancing each other out. So I very, very much appreciate everyone who contributes to the show in any way. Okay, uh, so I've been your host for today, Bart Bouchas. You can find me at bartb.ie and until next time, happy computing. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hey, man, were you listening to Tim and David on the Tech Fan Podcast, man? Yeah, man, I heard about them in the lockup, man. It's on TechFanPodcast.com, man. Oh, yeah, and it's on the Stoplight Network, too, man. That's really far out, man. I didn't even know you were into that stuff, man. Yeah, I'm like really a geek, man. I've raised my awareness just from being on their site, man. Well, that's heavy, man. What was the website again? It's techfanpodcast.com, man. And don't forget about the Stoplight Network.